モーニングプロジェクトプレゼンツ Ridiculous degree. Yes, it's me, Shidoshi, and I'm back for another fantastic episode of Miranda's Sweet Shop. I am doing this again. Last time we were here, I said I didn't know if I would or not. And look at this. I am doing it again. So I'm not going to sit here and、um, say, oh my God, if you don't like this, then don't listen, whatever that, you know.、Uh, I'm going to get over my stupid little.、Um, Lack of self confidence. The only thing I will say this time is don't bitch at me that this is not a new stage of warning a huge podcast. I know. I know you want that. I want that too. So yeah, shut up. I know. All right? I know. Okay. Yes.、Uh, so this is Miranda's Sweets Shop.、Uh, this is my solo podcast. I am Shidoshi, as I said. And、uh, how are you doing? Are you doing okay? Look at this. That's my drink clinking. I know. People said not to clink your drink, but I'm doing it anyway.、Uh, yeah. I am going to calm down about that, though. I will try to behave and not be so noisy.、Um, so, last time we were here, I talked about Japan and how I got into all this Japanese stuff. And the logic would say that my next episode would be about my living in Japan, the part two of the. Shidoshi cross Japan saga, you could say. But no, I don't do things that way, so you don't get part two yet.、Um, my, my kind of thing in thinking was if I was going to do this podcast solo and if I was going to do a second episode, I wanted to think a little bit before I did it about what I could do for episodes for this podcast. Because I didn't want to come on here and hey, have,、um, say, like, hey, here's my Japan part two, and then be done. And have nothing from there on out. So I was thinking about the kind of topics that, that would interest me and come out here talking about. And one of the ideas I had was depression and talking about depression.、Um, I have a lot of experience with that, fortunately or unfortunately.、Uh, 
uh, and connecting to depression, I kind of thought about, well, it is the holiday season, and one of the things in the holiday season is holiday depression. And so I thought about talking about holiday depression, which got me thinking about the entire holiday topic. So that is what we're going to do today, folks. The holidays. Because it is the holidays, no matter what you celebrate. Um, okay, so for some people of you out there in different parts of the world, I know, don't tell me that you don't have holidays right now. I'm, I'm sure of that. But for us people that are important, a.k.a. the West, that's a joke, of course. Um, it is for us the holiday season. Time for giving and sharing and caring and blah. So first, let's... Happy holidays. I have to talk about that real quick. Happy holidays. When I was a kid, it was, of course, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, you know. Have a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, blah, blah. Now it's Happy Holidays because saying Merry Christmas is not inclusive. So we have to do Happy Holidays. Now, I am very liberal in my, in my beliefs, um, <clears throat> but I also like to believe that I work off of common sense as well. And I will say that I am not a fan of happy holidays. So I'm really big into words and how they're used. And I am very much against, uh, the culture that says that words don't matter because words do matter people and you know <laughs> we have this thing i mean so in in my in in my line of work <clears throat> we have comments that are powered through facebook and the comments you get through those facebook things are um very good at giving you a little hope for humanity and inevitably in any story that people end up reading, you will get the gay response. You know, that's gay. This is gay. Totally gay. Anything about Battlefield 3? Haha, <laughs> yeah, Battlefield 3 is awesome. Call of Duty so gay, you know, or vice versa for Call of Duty stories. Um, I know I wrote about the fact that so on Xbox 360, you have your little avatars, and starting January 1st, 2012, avatars can no longer have gun props. Props. Any kind of prop that is gun-based, you can no longer have. So, of course, people are like, man, this is gay. Microsoft's gay. These avatars, those gay avatars, you know, okay. Seriously, they have the gay, okay? That bugs me. Stuff like that bugs me. You've got the whole N-word, and then, of course, this whole saying the N-word. Not saying the word, I'm but saying, quote-unquote, N-word. That's crazy, too, but that's a huge deal. And then... In the transgender area, you've got tranny that you shouldn't use, and you've got the word trap, which could be used or couldn't be used depending on how you're using it, and it is offensive, but it's not offensive. So you've got all this offensive stuff. But the thing about all those is those words are, I think, exclusive words. They are words used to take somebody and separate them from a particular group for a certain reason. If you use the N-word, you are using that because you are trying to say that this black person is less than a certain other group. You know, because that, that's why you're using that word, because you're, you, you're using it in a situation 
um, I'm not talking about the the A version. Uh, this is so complicated. You know, look, look, I'm white, all right, and I, you, you know, you've got less pressure. Yes, us white folks have so much pressure. I know, I know. It's white people's problems. <laughs> I'm not saying what I'm saying is is even just discussing this situation. You know, you, you're like. I need to talk about this topic, but I don't want to say the word. So I have to figure out how to say the word without saying the word. You know, look, look there are certain situations, obviously, when, when I, like, you know, black people are saying <laughs> their version of the word. That sounds stupid, but you know what I mean. Um, but us crackers who have our version that is not very nice, when, we, when that word is used, it is used in, in exclusive reasons. If you call a gay person gay in, in a bad way, or you know, you use the, the, the word faggot or whatever, those are being used for exclusive reasons. You you are you are trying to say that that person for being who they are are not as good as a different group. Um, tranny, when you use tranny, whether you know it or not, tranny is offensive. And we can get into that later as to why it's offensive, but it is. Uh, that again you are using that to exclude people. Merry Christmas is inclusive. Now, you might originally not think it is, but it it, 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 it is. The, saying Merry Christmas is not meant to exclude anybody. It is not meant to say that a certain person's beliefs or, or lifestyle or situation or whatever are, are less than than majority. Saying Merry Christmas is saying, hey, it is Christmas time. I hope it's good for you. Now, like it or not, Christmas is a majority thing in America and many parts of the West. And it's not a Christian thing. As much as those Christians out there want to say, you know, let's put the Christ back in Christmas. At this point, it's not a Christian thing. And if you know anything about your history... Um, it, it's very interesting how Christmas time falls in line with a lot of other holidays that existed before Christ, you know. But we're not getting into that religion stuff, and I'm not, to be clear, I'm not trying to offend any Christians out there. Um, I, I said I am liberal, but I am also very supportive of religion. Um, I believe in God. I do not subscribe to a particular religion. Um, but I think overall religion has a bad name. There are people out there who do really terrible things under the guise of doing them for God. But you know what? That is in every single group out there. Um, so if we're going to blame religious people for that, we can turn around and say, hey, you know, if you want to talk about PETA or uh, the, some of the crazy Greenpeace people out there, you know, every group has splinter factions that screw things up for the rest of people. Okay. But in the West, at this point, Christmas is not a Christian thing. It is a holiday that many, many of us celebrate. Because really, if you've got a holiday where you get free stuff on it, you know, I don't care if it's a Christian thing or not. I'm doing it. I'm sorry. I'm getting free stuff. I, I like free presents, you know. I'm doing that. But so in the West... Christmas is a, oh my god, my eye, I seriously, I'm trying to explain this in my, there's something in my eye, okay. Um, Christmas is a thing for everybody. And when you say Merry Christmas, you know, 
it's it's a it's a holiday. It's 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 like Fourth of July, right? Americans, we have Americans have Fourth of July. Now you can be in America, and you might not be an American. You might be here visiting, or you might be like, you know what? I'm living in this country, but f you, I'm not American. I'm whatever. You can still celebrate Fourth of July. You know, you can still be part of that, and you can still say, okay, you know what? All these other people in this country are celebrating Fourth of July. Maybe I don't, but I don't need to take that away from them. So. I understand when people say saying Merry Christmas does not include other religions in their holidays. But the point of that statement is not exclusivity, no matter how you want to argue it, I think. It, it is not being said in order, you know, you're not saying, oh, Merry Christmas, except for, for if you're a Jew, and if you are, you suck. You know, nobody's saying that. And people when they say Merry Christmas, they know Hanukkah's here too. It, but it's the fact of, if I say Merry Christmas, chances are somebody does celebrate Christmas. If I say Happy Hanukkah, chances are they probably don't because it's a majority and minority thing. And as much as I am a fighter for the minority, you have to understand that the majority is in fact a majority. And there are times when we have to pick our battles. And we have to say, you know what, this is important for me to fight for. This is something that I have to understand. It's just a fact of life. And the fact of life is, in a country like America, and other Western countries, Christmas is a majority thing. You know, so let's not get, and not, I'm not, not like this has been a big deal maybe lately, but it just, it was on my brain, saying Merry Christmas, really, it's fine. Um, ha- happy Holidays, you know. I don't know. It, it's it's like one of those things where I just guess like because I grew up with Christmas, so I guess it's easy for me to say this, you know. Um, but I grew up with Christmas, and it, it was fine. And and to me, it was like one of those things where I don't feel like a lot of people were really upset about it. Like speeding Gonzalez, the, the total weird rat hole tangent here. But Speedy Gonzalez, right? It's this character where. But white people at one point were like, man, this character is really racist. We need to change this character. And then at th- when that story came out, you had a bunch of support from the Hispanic community saying, look, we like this character. You know? You white folks might be saying it's racist, but maybe we aren't. So it's, it's all perspective and, and weirdness. But, you know, either way, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, whatever. Let's not get bent out of shape. What I'm saying is we have to be uh, not realistic. What am I trying to say? Common sense. We have to use common sense on this kind of stuff. You know, and, and, and figure out what battles are worth fighting and what battles aren't worth fighting. But, so it is now the holiday season. And Christmas time for some of us. Hanukkah time, if you say that for other people. Um, I was reading that Kwanzaa uh, not as popular as it used to be. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I don't in the world understand what Kwanzaa is. It's a thing. I know it's a thing. Uh, you've got Festivus for the rest of us. Whatever you ce- celebrate, it is the holidays. And there is this thing with depression on the holidays. Um, it... Where do I want to start? Uh... So why do we get depressed the holidays? You know, that's, that seems like a simple question. 
but maybe it's something that you don't always think about. And it really can, if you think about it, it expands to in your entire life and why do you get depressed? And obviously there are plenty of other reasons for in your real life why or why not you get depressed. Um, but the holiday situation, I think, is one of expectations, which really can then factor into your entire life in many other ways. We, we get depressed at the holidays because we have these expectations. And I think some people are like, well, I hate the holidays, you know, the holidays suck, Christmas sucks, whatever, blah, 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 blah. But I wonder if it isn't because the holidays don't live up to their expectations and that's why they don't like it. And I have a really bizarre way to explain where I'm going with this. Uh, and it's Dark Souls versus Silent Hill. Now, Dark Souls is this video game on your Xbox 360 and your PS3 uh, from this company called From Software. You play it, you die a lot. It's a lot of fun. So the company previously made this game called Demon Souls, and Dark Souls and Demon Souls are kind of almost a very similar kind of game, but Dark Souls expands on the ideas that were created in Demon Souls. Uh, at the time, I really loved Demon Souls. It was a game I didn't know. Thank you. BitTorrent for that client, yes. Um, Demon Souls, I didn't know much about it. All I knew is that, if you listen to Warning a Huge Podcast, you know Mr. Nick Rocks. Nick Rocks was like, oh, bro, this this game, this PS3 game's awesome, you gotta play it. Like, alright. I played it when it came out in America, and it was very awesome, indeed. Um, but it's funny, because as much as I loved it, I kind of forgot the reasons that I loved it. And I forgot about the experiences I really had with it. Just because I've played so many games and had so many other things to think about, that kind of memory had been archived in my brain. Uh, so when Dark Souls came out, I was excited for Dark Souls, but I was not like, oh, I need to get this the day it comes out. You know, I was just like, I'm going to play it at some point, and I'm, I'm having fun looking at it and checking it out. But I was not like ravenous about playing it. Uh, and then when I got a chance to, I was basically asked, oh, do you want to review this? And I was kind of iffy about it because I was like, yeah, I do, but I'm not really sure that I want to review it. You know, and I'm not sure I really want to play it right now. Uh, and then, of course, when I, when I was given the copy and I played it, I fell back in love with that, and all those memories of why I had loved Demon's Souls came back up. So... You know, it was it was that love was renewed inside me, and I had so much fun with Dark Souls because even though I had played Demon Souls and I had some expectation on Dark Souls, I was not going into it with this big list of this is what this game has to be and should not be. All it was was I am thinking this was going to be fun, but whatever it gives me is whatever it gives me. Now, contrast that with Silent Hill 2. So, the first Silent Hill comes out, and it almost kind of feels like this Konami's like ripoff of Resident Evil. That's what it seemed like before it, before it was released. But it comes out, and it's this amazingly fantastic game. One of my favorite games still to this day. Um, and it's so awesome. And because of how much I loved Silent Hill... I had so many expectations on what Silent Hill 2 needed to be. And Silent Hill 2 came out, 
And it fulfilled so few of those expectations. So I had thought, okay, Silent Hill 1 is taking place in uh, Silent Hill City proper. You get to explore all of the place, and it's really exciting. So Silent Hill 2 obviously is going to be bigger, more exploration, things like that. I thought you get to Silent Hill 2 and totally different part of town. It actually felt a lot smaller. There were fewer places to go. There were fewer buildings to, to go into and explore. Um, just the gameplay didn't seem the same. Uh, at the time, the way Silent Hill turns kind of evil did not seem to be nearly as exciting as the original game had been. So there were all these points where I was very disappointed with it. And I want to say for, for for a decent while after I played and beat the game, I did not like Silent Hill 2. And it wasn't because it wasn't a good game. It was because the expectations that I went into it with simply could not be met based on what Silent Hill 2 was. So it's the kind of thing where maybe not necessarily Silent Hill 2 failed, but my expectations on it failed. And I think that that actually is, in a lot of ways, very similar to how the holidays work is I think that we get depressed the holidays because what we expect the holiday to be is not what it turns out to be. And it's, it's, it's hard not to put expectations, especially if you had good memories of the holidays as a child. Now, maybe you didn't. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe your dad beat you every Christmas Day, which just ignore me then because I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, maybe you were too poor and your family didn't get presents at all. Maybe, you know, tons. Maybe your dog died on Christmas Day. Maybe your sweetheart left you. There's so many of the things you could think about as to why you might not enjoy the holidays. But from a sense of those of us who did have memorable and enjoyable experiences with the holidays as a child, I think as we get older... The problem is our expectations on what the holidays should be cannot be met a lot of the time. Um, for me, when I was young, it was about my family coming together. And it, it's really strange because I was a person who was never really close to most of my family. So I did not see them very often. But there was still that thing about I, you know, I wanted to have that family atmosphere. I wanted to have that close-knit, big family kind of connection going on. So for me, the holidays were all the family gets together to, in one place and, and we pretend to like each other, you know, and that was, that was fun for me. And I got presents, and I got awesome presents. I got Transformers and G.I. Joes and He-Mans and My Little Ponies and Cabbage Patch dolls. I'm admitting to that, yes. Um... Star Wars figures, you know, um, laser tag guns, whatever, you know. At a certain point, NES games. Uh, so, there were, you know, and, and it was like Christmas was when it was snowing, and I really loved snow. And you decorated the house, and that was so exciting. You put the Christmas tree up, you put the lights up. It was like this really festive thing, and, and, and as opposed to a lot of other holidays, it was this thing that kind of could last all month long, because in my home, the rule was the day after Thanksgiving, the tree could go up. Not before, but that day, 
you know, because it was still the kind of the holiday. So you had Thanksgiving Day, you get your turkey, you did whatever. And then the next day, it was still kind of the holiday that, I mean, um, day off typically or whatever, you know. So you would use that day to start putting up the Christmas decorations. And then the Christmas music would come out, you know. Um, when I was a kid, my mom had actual, you know, vinyl LPs of Christmas music that we put on. So it was this excitement that happened in the house, you know, and you were building up to something. And it was like, oh, man, you know, I've got 30 days, kind of, not exactly 30 days, but, you know, I've got 30 days to, to until I get presents. And what am I going to get, you know? Those things I've been wanting all year long. Am I finally going to get those? Or, or what exciting new things will be waiting for me? So there was, there was all this excitement and all this emotion and just this aura and atmosphere of, of something wonderful happening. And as the years go on, maybe a brother gets divorced from his wife. Maybe, you know, family members have a falling out. Maybe a grandparent dies. Um, you get older and toys aren't as exciting to you anymore. And you get to that point where your parents and your relatives have no idea what to buy you. So you get maybe a sweater that is totally not your style. You get a book. And you're like, I don't read books. What is what is a book? You know, um, so so there's all these things that start coming up because the expectations of what Christmas Christmas should be in your head more and more can't be fulfilled. And I think that you have to really remember that. You know, you have to think that the holidays are going to be whatever they're going to be. Now. Me saying this to some of me, some of you out there who maybe are spending Christmas alone, you know, and the only person buying presents for you are yourself. Well, I, I'm sorry, you're you're screwed. I have I have I have no good advice for how to not be depressed over the holidays. I'm sorry, you know, I I apologize for that. But for the, the others of you, I think that we in the holidays and in life we have to kind of think about the fact that. Our expectations of things so often are not going to be met. And you have one of two choices. You can either feel like crap because your expectations were not met, or you can decide that you're going to find the good in life and enjoy that versus, you know, the crying over spilled milk. And trust me, I know how hard that is. Like I said, we're not going to get into the depression topic seriously this time. I will later, but I spent years and years and years with crippling depression. Uh, a ridiculous degree. And, and I still have it sometimes. I, I still very, very easily fall back into that. So I know how hard it is. But at some point, you have to tell yourself that you know what, this may be the only chance you have at this world and this life and experiences and things like that. And at some, to some degree, you decide your own happiness. Yes, there are these plenty of outside influences, you know, what society does, what world you were born into, you know, how much money you have. Because people who say that money doesn't buy happiness, that's BS, I'm sorry. It does not buy happiness, it buys you the opportunity to be happy. And that there's no question of that. 
but you can be perfectly happy being poor. You know, it just depends on like what you want out of life. But so to a certain degree, we control our own fate and we decide how happy we are at any given moment. So I think that you have to tell yourself that the holidays, Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Festivus, whatever you whatever you celebrate and whatever you're looking forward to or not looking forward to, that you have to understand that they are not going to be what you want. And the truth of the matter is, I'm pretty sure for 95% of people out there, the holidays aren't what they want. There's always something that goes wrong. There's always some relative getting drunk or the cookie gets the cookie, the turkey gets overcooked or you forget the lima beans or, you know, you didn't get the present you wanted. You got a present that you totally did not want. There are so many little things that can happen. And, you know, hating the holidays because of that, I don't think is fair. It's just like you have to just understand that this is life and life happens the way it happens. And instead of mulling over those low points, let's try to get more enjoyment out of the high points we do get. And if you can do that on the holidays and as often as you can otherwise, I think your life's going to be a lot better. You know, that's just the way it goes. So, um, drink, hang on a second. I move away from the microphone to drink. Uh, gifts. I want to talk real, real quick. Cause I have kind of a funny story that I think about gifts. Um, and my, my, my brain is terrible at remember, remembering things, especially like Christmas gifts. Like I could not tell you what I got last year for Christmas. I have no idea. Um, but I remember when I was a kid, I had a friend named Tim. Now I had NES. And many of the people I knew had an NES because the NES was a thing to buy and to own if you liked video games. I think like 99% of consoles out there in homes at that point were NES. That low, lonely little 1% was Sega Master System. And my friend Tim had a Sega Master System and he loved it. He only had a few games for it, but he absolutely loved it. However... <clears throat> I was not happy with him being happy with the Master System. I was like, Tim, look. I know you like this little Sega toy, you know, and I know you like your little hang-on game, but these aren't real video games, man. You need a real video game system. You need a Nintendo Entertainment System because that's where the games are. That's where the good games are at. That's where all the kids are playing, you know, that NES. That's what you need. Tim's like, I'm happy with my Super, Super, Master, Super Master System. He's like, I'm happy with my Sega Master System. And I'm like, no, Tim. No, you're not. You're not happy. So I finally convinced this friend Tim to have his family sell their Sega Master System so that he could get an NES. He's like, all right, got this NES now. There you go. I'm good. I, you, I, I did what you asked. I got the NES. I'm, I'm on the bandwagon. I'm going to play it. So I think for that Christmas, 
I end up convincing my father to get me Sega Master System. Because I was at the point like, you know what? I have this NES. I've had it for a couple years. That's great. I want some new hardware. So I convinced him to get me the Sega Scope 3D setup. Which, it's funny because, like, right now, all this big push for 3D technology, man, Sega was doing that crap back on the Master System. And it was actually good. They had the little glass with the shutter things going on and everything, you know? Like, I got this Master System pack, and it's the Master System, and it's the, uh, the, the light phaser, which is like the photon gun, you know, and the 3D glasses. And I convinced my dad to get that for me for Christmas. And my dad was one of these people who was like, if you own something, there's no reason to get anything else. You know, like, I had to really convince him to get me a CD player when I got my first CD player, because he was like... Well, you got, like, a tape deck, right? What do you need a CD player for? You know, he, he was, like, well, he just did not understand the fact that te- technology moves forward and you kind of want new things. Um, so I convinced him. But after I've convinced my friend Tim to sell his master system to get an NES, that holiday season, that Christmas, I convinced my father to get me a master system, and I got it. And I was like, you know what? This uh, master system, this is pretty kick-ass. This is awesome. I like this. So, I, so like, thinking back, I was, like, such an a-hole here because I convinced my friend to get rid of the console he loved, and then I bought it, and I ended up loving it. And because of the master system, I ended up loving Sega and becoming a Sega fan. So I know Tim is not listening, but you know what? I'm sorry, Tim. I'm sorry I did that to you. Uh, but I, I just always found that funny. Like I was like, man, I'm such a jerk in regards to that. So, Christmas in Japan, I had two funny little stories I want to talk to you about. Um, Because, yes, they do have Christmas in Japan, but it's a little bit different. And Japanese holidays are interesting when it comes to uh, Western holidays. Because, for example, they, they do have Valentine's Day. But on Valentine's Day, February 14th, same as this, women give chocolate to men. And not just the men that they like. Depending on your social cir- circles and your situation, whatever, you may have to, you may feel pressured to give chocolate to, say, your father, uh, to your boss, to every male coworker in your office, you know. So women have to give chocolate to men and, and a bunch of men. Which is actually kind of fun because. If if you're a foreign guy living in Japan, you're already gonna get some attention from, from from the ladies because Japanese women really like foreign guys. Depending on depending on your race, you know, but they they like you. Uh, so it, it's it's fun to it's fun to see women on Valentine's Day either give like different levels of chocolate to different people. Or to um, see the earnestness with they may give it to you versus somebody else. So that was a very interesting situation that I, I, I went through, and I it was a lot of fun seeing like how the little you know emotional political actions of women and like all right, so who am I going to give chocolate to, and what kind of chocolate am I going to give them, and like what kind of earnestness am I giving it to them in. I think it's not. I think it's not just chocolate too. I think you can get like cookies and, and and other stuff, but some sort of sweets. So then in March, March fourteenth, we have White Day, and the idea of White Day is if 
the guys give something to the ladies. So if on Valentine's Day you received chocolate from a certain girl that you fancy, then on March 14th, white day comes around and you would give her something back. And that could kind of kindle the uh, relationship building, you know. But so Christmas. Christmas exists, but Christmas is kind of funny because Christmas Eve, and maybe not just Eve, but maybe Christmas overall, is actually more of like a lover's holiday. So in the West here, we think of Christmas being family, you know. Get together with mom and dad, brother and sister, little Timmy, Fido, and whatever. What's the Fluffy? Fluffy, the stereotypical cat name. You know, aunts and uncles, uncle, uncle Bob. Um, you know, family comes together. But in, in Japan, Christmas is for like lovers and couples. Christmas Eve, you go out and you, you celebrate with your, with your loved one. And then on Christmas Day, it's kind of like a lover's holiday. So it's kind of interesting in that regard. And as commercialized as you may think Christmas might be in the West, Christmas is just totally commercial in Japan because obviously there are very, very few Christians over there. So the whole thing is simply a commercial holiday. So as part of that, one of the funniest situations I had in, in regards to Christmas in Japan was finding out that, so to me, Christmas is turkey, mashed potatoes and gravy, cranberry sauce, um, lima beans, homemade rolls, bread, you know, these kind of things. You know, you, you might do ham, you might do green beans, lima beans, you might do corn, you might do like... Uh, Free potatoes versus regular mashed potatoes. You know, you might have your variations, but there's, you know, there's this kind of like traditional kind of Christmas fare when you when you eat. In Japan, traditional Christmas food is KFC. Somehow, girl Colonel Sanders organization figured out that you just tell Japanese people, hey, you know what you eat for Christmas? KFC. And the fun part about Japanese people is they they love it's it's almost like they love to love marketing stuff like that. You know, like if you say, "Hey, this is what you do." They're like, "Oh yeah, you're right. That is what we do." And they just start doing it. So so now in in my household, every Christmas Eve we now have KFC for dinner because that is the Christmas tradition. And it feels so dumb but at the same time, it's like it's a fun little, funny quirk of Japan. Um, but yeah, the first time I heard it, I'm like, wait a minute, what? What, what KFC? Like, I think too. Part of it is that is, you know, even though KFC exists in Japan, it's kind of like one of those specialty foods, same as pizza. You know, you know, fried chicken and pizza. They have them. But you don't just like go out every day and, and, and get it, you know. If you're having a party or if your friends are getting together, something you might get pizza, which pizza is too another very interesting story. Um, but so I think there's kind of like the specialness to it. It's like, you know, a family who might never go to Kentucky or Kenta, depending on what area, how you call it in Japan, uh, that family might not go there ever during the year, 
but then Christmas comes around, and so that's their Christmas meal, and so it feels exotic, and it feels special, you know? Like, like I mean, going to KFC feels like just, all right, I want chicken, but I'm too lazy to go to an actual real chicken joint, so I'm going to KFC. But for them, you know, KFC, that's, that's the big deal, man. That's like the special, you know, that's going all out for your, for your meal, so... And there was one other thing about Christmas in relation to Japan that I found kind of funny. And that's the Christmas cake. And I'm not talking about any kind of actual sweet. I'm talking about Christmas cake being girls. Uh, this is a, I always thought this was like a funny bit of slang or, or reference or whatever. But so the idea, and you'll, you'll get where I'm going with this in a second. The idea is... What is a Christmas cake? Okay. Something sweet and delicious and, 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 and you, you want that. But you want it by Christmas time, right? Maybe you'll have it before, before it's quite ready, but by December 25th, you want that Christmas cake. The day after Christmas, a Christmas cake is useless, right? Because first of all, at that point, it's just cake. It's no longer Christmas cake. It's just plain cake. And the entire role, the, the entire reason it had for existing, being Christmas cake, has now passed. It can no longer be what it was made to be. It is now failed Christmas cake, right? And the further past Christmas you get, the less and less desirable that cake gets. So... How does this connect to, to women? So the idea in Japan is that a, a female, in terms of marrying her, or in terms of winning her heart and securing the long-term relationship, is at her prime when she's 25. The moment she turns 26, she's starting to become an old lady, basically. So the slang of a girl being Christmas cake is... If she's 25 or before, she still has attractability. She's still appealing to people. But once she gets past being 25, she's now post-Christmas cake. Something that has failed in its reason for existence. It's, I mean, obviously it is a completely sexist way of thinking and so ridiculous. But... Japan still very much is in that, you know, uh, people over 30 are kind of like old hags and in, in, in a way and stuff. And like, just, I, I, I've always loved that saying. I mean, I, I, it's ridiculous. Yes. But I've always loved it just for how ridiculous it is, you know, calling somebody Christmas cake and, and anything like, you know, if you're past 25, you're, 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 you're worthless to me. You know, you're, you're a hag. 26, what? 26, man, I'm, Throwing you in the garbage, ignore I see the mold on you. Still, I got some email from you people. From you people. You people. Who are you calling you people? Um, so this is going to be like a shorter show, I think, than last time. Um, you know, because I just wanted to come in and say a little thing about the holidays. Like, I don't know. I, I, I thought maybe I maybe would have something more... Uh, uh, God... Words escaping brain, uh, meaningful, impactful to tell you about the holidays, but you know, just enjoy them. 
enjoy them and whatever. Even if your joy is only getting a chance to see a Charlie Brown Christmas again on TV, you know. Or your joy is in getting sweet deals on Black Friday or in the days leading up to Christmas, you know. Or getting snowfall for you folks who actually get snow. That really, okay, before I finish and go to the mail part, let me just say that living in L.A. sucks for Christmas, okay? It's not Christmas. I, it's going to be like, what, like 80 degrees this weekend or, or, or 70s or something? That's not Christmas. Like, I grew up in the Midwest, so I grew up where Christmas was snow and cold. You put your coat on, you put your scarf on, your little hat and your mittens, and you go out in a cold car and you go to your you know family's house and you go into the nice warm. Like, for people who live in, in warm places, you cannot understand the awesomeness of a warm house on a really cold winter's day. There is something so comforting and, and so just inviting and appealing to, to being in a warm house or a warm apartment or whatever when it's like snowy and cold outside. But that's like Christmas to me, you know. Christmas is snow. It's like, you know, white Christmas, frosted snowman, that kind of stuff. So you get here to L.A. and it's just like another day. It's just like a day like every other day. Oh, look, the sun's out. I see grass. Great. You know, there's no feeling of Christmas out here. It just, it sucks. It really sucks. Like, I'm getting to a point where I'm starting to like L.A., and, and, and enjoy living here, but Christmas in L.A. is just the worst. It really is. But. So anyway, email. This is from uh, John Scroggins. Sometimes Eggerland. <sighs> he says, listening to you talk about games over time, I noticed a common theme you continue to touch on, and I hope you'll talk about it at some point on any podcast, which is, fundamentally, you love most games that create a world, and the fun of the game is exploring and using your mind to figure out the rules of this world. Personally, I think games like this are a fun version of how humans become successful in real life. You figure out how to do something, you work at it and gain experience, and you gradually gain self-esteem. Uh, I think the two best examples of you describing this aspect of gaming is Metroid and Dark Souls. What I would like to hear you talk about is, what is it exactly about exploration in games that is so enjoyable? Why is it so much fun discovering secrets that you're certain in your 10-year-old mind no one knew existed? What makes pouring all your time and energy into a game you love, making maps, strategies, etc., so engrossing and rewarding? That's a really good question, you know. Um... Because, I mean, there is, like, I have a few different, uh, if we're going to use the term gamer, I think I have a few different gamers inside of me. And there is that gamer that really loves going online and just shooting people and killing stuff, you know. Um, I'm, right now I'm playing Resistance 3 on the PS3, and I'm really big into the Resistance series. And I love just jumping online and getting into team deathmatch and, and killing. Um, but, yeah, I think... Like, where did that come from? Because it, it's interesting because when I, was, um, when I was young, there was this place, uh, oh, it was called Ames Plaza. And I see if anybody, if you can figure out who I, where I lived before, you will uh, not be able to track me down. 
uh, my my childhood home. Um, there was a place called Ames Plaza near me, and it was this, this kind of small shopping mall. Um, not as you think of like a mall at this point, but it, it had uh, this two floor department store, had uh, a bar, which crazy man. For you people out there who are a little bit older, remember when malls had bars? Man, that was wacky. Uh, had a bar, had a bank, and had a few little shops, you know. And I, I'd gone there a few times. I went to the department store or we went to see my grandfather at the bar or whatever. And then the, the place closed. And they boarded up all the all the windows and doors and whatever. And so it was just this big board up place. And years and years later, running around, running around the neighborhood with you know, friends of mine, uh, we figured a way to get back into there. And it was this dark, deserted place, which, you know, as an adult, or more of an adult now, I, I kind of think, man, there's probably like, you know, rats with rabies and tetanus and broken glass and all this kind of stuff just like waiting to destroy little kids when they came in. But as a kid, it was like amazingly interesting because it was this exploration of a place. It was a place that I had been to before, but I didn't totally re- remember. And so now it's going there in a completely different world. It's so like, what is it about the exploration? Um, it's, it's, I think part of it, like when I play World of Warcraft, part of it to me is seeing the world that they've created, you know, and just kind of seeing, okay, what do they put here? What do they put there? If I go all the way to this coast or on this big mountain range, is there going to be anything there? And I think part of it is kind of that idea of you finding things nobody else has. Um, like, you know, as an adult, your rational brain tells you, you know, this game, somebody had to create it. Somebody had to make every single part of it. So there's no place in Warcraft I'm going to find that somebody doesn't know exists. But you enjoy that idea of you discovering something nobody else has. Um, but why? Why Why do we like that? That's a good question. Um, isn't it just like, you know, that undiscovered country, you know, that 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 call to to step on land that has not been stepped on before, you know, that finding things nobody else has. Um, you know, maybe people don't understand that. Maybe people are just like, I want to just get on on a game and kill stuff and shoot stuff and beat it. But I love that exploration. I, I love I love any game that convinces me that the world that it, it exists in actually does exist somewhere. And as much as I love Persona series, um, one of the things that does bother me is that they do a really good job in these little chunks of the world that they create. But then you, let's say you have like the map, the overworld map of where to go next. That kind of breaks me out of it. You know, versus the Dark Souls, where Dark Souls... The entire time you're in this world, and it's 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 this it's this totally connected together place, and you can actually believe that it exists somewhere out there. Uh so yeah, I don't I don't know that I have a good answer for that. Maybe I'll think about it and come back next show and talk more about that. I just it's like that exploration. I like, you know, I do love shooting stuff, but I more than that, I love games that encourage us to do things other than kill, you know, to explore, to, to create, to adventure. So I'll think about it. And if I have a better answer, I'll come back next time and give that. 
It's a good question, though. Uh, this is from Harold L. Clark. Uh, this is an interesting question. He says, uh, I want to say that I appreciate the first episode of Miranda's Sweet Shop and look forward to more. Thank you for sharing. I have wondered what kind of feedback podcasters wanted. Do you have any requests? So, feedback is very important. Um, for me, now, I am kind of an egotist in a way. Um, like, I, I, I think everything I create is garbage after the first hour I've created it. Like, the first hour, I think it's the most awesome thing in the world. Like, oh, man, look at this new website. This is so boss. I did just, yes, I did just say boss. Uh, you know, everybody on the internet is going to love it. And then an hour later, I'm like, man, this is crap. I remake this. Um, but I think when you're creative and you create things, you do, maybe you say you don't, but you do really, really want that feedback to come back into you so that you know what you did that people like and they don't like. So I would say if, if you have podcasts you like, I think it's important to give them feedback and not just, hey, you're awesome, but say like what you like and what you don't like. Now, don't, you know, you don't have to be an a-hole about it. You don't have to say like, oh, you guys suck. Your podcast is so boring. I'm never listening to you again. But like I got some interesting feedback for the first episode of Miranda's Sweet Shop, you know, and people were, were hey, I, I enjoyed it, but it was too long or, hey, I enjoyed it, but it was too short. Um... You do kind of ramble sometimes, but it was interesting, you know, stuff like that. So, like, with Warning a Huge Podcast, which is kind of interesting, uh, we do so many different sections on there that I think it's good for, like, feedback for that kind of podcast to say what sections you really, really like and which you aren't as hot on. Because, you know, if everybody says, like, recently people have been saying, you know, why don't you guys do the Twitter stuff again? And so I've kind of been pushing the other guys to get us to do the Twitter segment again because I know people really enjoy that part. So if if we know that you enjoy a certain segment, then we're more likely to do it again or more or maybe expand it, you know. Or if we do a segment and you don't care at all, then why should we waste our time doing that segment over and over again if people aren't enjoying it? So I think the best feedback you can give is not necessarily say hey, you guys suck, or hey, you guys are the most awesome thing in the world. Like, kind of say, okay, I like your feed, I like your podcast, and here's what I really like about it, but here's one or two things I am not as fond of. So that way, you're giving specific criticism or praise so that the podcasters know what their listeners want more of and want less of. So... Like, instead of just completely ban- abandoning a podcast, you can tell them, you know. Like, I'll give you an example. So I'm listening to the, the uh, Player One podcast recently. And I've kind of papered off my listening recently because in two of the recent shows, they really went into spoilers for games without really warning about it. Um, and it was one of those kind of things where the game's been out for like a month. So like, okay, it's been out for a month. It's, you know, the statute limitations or whatever whatever you say you know for the the period where you can't say spoilers has, is over but for me i haven't even gotten close to playing those games yet so if i was giving them feedback i would say look guys i really enjoy your podcast but you need to be careful about the spoilers 
because if you just bring him in out of the blue, like if you say, hey, we're going to spoil some stuff, so jump ahead five minutes and you'll be safe, you know, if you do that, it's fine. But jumping into spoilers without giving me warning really bugs me. So things like that, you know, if there are certain specific elements you like or don't like, let the podcaster know. Um, if there are guests that come on that you are not a fan of, let them know about that. You know, if, you know, so I think what I'm saying is be specific in your, in your criticism or your comments and not just, oh, you guys suck or you guys are the bomb, you know. So if you give them specifics on things you think should be fixed or should be expanded upon, that helps them understand what their listeners want more of. I know I'm not I'm not gonna do that very often, but hey. Um, so this this is this next one's kind of interesting because I want to talk about something about the person who sent this, but I'm not sure if she wants me to give her name out. So I'm not gonna give her name out. And it's not even like a real name; it's a nickname. But um, so I'm gonna read her question first and answer her question, and then I'm gonna going to why I'm not mentioning her name. Uh, so like she does incredibly rambly, which I am, but the way it came out was highly enjoyable. Thank you. Uh, I know I'm not asking the right person for this, but how would you translate a visual novel? Because of the enormous amount of text in these games, for example, Steins Gate, very few fan translators are willing to devote so many years of their lives to one project to see the completion but at the same time, the community has an elitist obsession over translation quality, and so they don't put more than one translator per project. Uh, so I'm stumped because I want more people to play these things, but at this rate, the visual novel medium is forever stuck in a rut of only a handful of the most hardcore fans. Uh, regardless of my thoughts, how would you translate a visual novel if you as a translator were in charge of its localization for an overseas audience? So, this is a really interesting question to me. Um, because my opinion on translations has completely changed over the years. Now, when I was young, I was the kind of person who was like, you know what? I want a straight translation. Just whatever it is in Japanese, make that English and give it to me. And I was a kind of person who I really enjoyed working designs at first for their efforts, but it didn't take me long to get upset about their translations. And to be fair, at that point, you know, Sega CD days and the TurboGrafx 16 days, um, they were very, very liberal in their translations, uh, which I would not support their methodology of doing it. Uh, but So I was very hardcore in, in what how I thought translations should work. But then, but then you, you get older and you live life and you do things like go to Japan and learn Japanese and you come to realize that straight translating a language from one to another doesn't work. It does not work. I mean, you can, you can get, you can go to Google and do your little Google translation and you can get your literal translation, but that does not work for a piece of entertainment. And what we have to think about is the fact that when it was originally written, 
for the Japanese audience. It was written with the idea of getting the Japan of the audience to have a certain emotional reaction to what was going on in the storyline. And when you translate that literally, things are going to get lost in translation, and the person on the end of the translation process is not going to have that same experience the first person in the original country did. So I, I think that it does not surprise me to think about the idea that people wanting these translations are very, very anal about translations. And I can understand that to a degree, but at some point, my feeling now is that you really have to... Um, like, translation alone is not an answer. And there are times when I almost think that uh, rewriting certain parts, that as long as they have the intention the original thing did, that's the better way to do it. And I, I think of this because I've, I've done a small amount of translation work on uh, a few fan translations from manga. And I also, um, <clears throat> I was going back because it was just this manga series that I was reading where one of the chapters was just like straight translated by 4chan people. And uh, it was done in a hurry and it wasn't really the best quality. And so I started going back and retranslating it myself. Um, and what, I've, what I learned just from doing that is the fact that I felt better about the end project and product, not project and product when I let myself rewrite things as long as I was confident in my ability to understand what was being said in the first place. <clears throat> and I'm trying to think of a good, a good, so let's say for example, um, itadakimasu in Japanese is what you say before you eat, right? But there, there literally is no direct translation in English for that. You can say "let's eat," but that's not really that's not really what it is. You can say "thank you for the food," but that's not really what it is either. And so it's this word "itadakimas" that once you've learned enough Japanese, you understand. But you can't really translate it to somebody. So, if I'm translating a manga and the word is itadakimasu, I don't know that I would like straight translate that. I think that I would think about, okay, in that situation, what is the character's attitude? Um, what is their motivation? <laughs> what is their motivation for eating food? You know, I mean, just stay with me here for a second. You know, uh, uh, what is their attitude? Like, what, is their, what are their speech patterns? So you have to think of something that would fit in there, but you can't be stuck on this idea that it has to be literal for everything that you're translating. Because I think at that point, you really do a disservice to the person who's receiving the translated work. So it's hard. And I have a friend who is part of like three or four decently sized manga translation groups, uh, fan scan stuff. And just in being friends with him and talking to him about things, I have seen like how crazy the fan translation side of this world is because you, 
<laughs> you know, it, it is fans doing it. And so it, oftentimes you just get whoever is available to do it. And I've seen stuff come in through him that he wanted me to like kind of proof or rewrite where the person translating originally is, just, I mean, they either don't have a full grasp on the language or they are just churning out direct translation. And then you have an editor who thinks they know how to write, but they don't. Like, look, look, let's be honest. I, I don't consider myself to be some sort of expert writer person. You know, like I, I've not written novels. I, I've not done like any, you know, major, major stuff like that. But I've been writing creatively and as a job for scads and scads of years now. And while I do not think I'm an expert at it, I do give myself enough credit to say that I think I can write decently. Um, and from my position, I have seen many editors in this kind of fan stuff that are just god-awful. But you have, you know, who you have. So it's tough. And I think that you also really have to have somebody who can appreciate what's going on in the storyline and appreciate how you write for that kind of stuff. Because if you do have these people who are just straight, we're going to translate it and give it to you that way, you're going to lose so much of the game. Um, I think, you know, I think of like the Persona games, or I think about uh, Corpse Party, which I played recently and loved. You know, those are games where you can tell there was an effort, like Corpse Party, right? If you've seen anything about it online, you've seen the whole buttering the pooper line, which, is, you know, is, is crazy, but there was a similar comment made in the Japanese version. But if you translate it directly, it would have lost some of the humor of the situation because there was humor in it. It, you know, it wasn't like, let's insert a, a, a topical joke here. It was, you know, the humor about this girl using this medicine on her rear end, you know. So in writing that in English, it's not just about, okay, I'm going to translate this and put it in there. It's about how do I write this in a, write this in a way that... Uh, in English, makes sense, is is respectful to the original Japanese, but also gives a joke that English speakers will appreciate. So it's tough. It's really tough, and I don't know that there's an answer. And I, I think I think the answer really is. I mean, the only thing I can really say is you have to have an editor who is really good at what they do and who really understands the project and cares about it. And then you find as many translators as possible to just do a straight dump of, of, of text translation, and then that editor goes through and has to rewrite everything. But at the same time, if you have an editor who does not understand the original language of what it is and can't refer to it themselves, that can create a problem too, because going back to the manga that I was trying to fix at the chapter 7 of, um, I would go back to... So I was working off of the, the translation that Forchan had done, and I went back to 
the original Japanese, and I understood that Japanese in sometimes different ways than the original translator did, so I kind of completely rewrote those portions because my understanding of what was being said conflicted with their understanding. So it's, it's, it's really, really hard. And um, I have only done a little bit, so I don't have a, a, a total and complete answer, but I, I think, unfortunately, it's one of those things that has no good, easy answer to it. It's, it's something that you have to struggle through and just do the best you can. And, um, you know, unfortunately, fan groups only have so much resources. And the whole fan sub fan translation world is really interesting, um, because it's one of those things where where the conversation of how much it hurts versus how much it helps is 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 uh, a deep conversation. But so okay, this person who wrote, who wrote in, whose name I will not give, um, I checked up on her now. I have this thing about like I, I really like finding out who people are if they like tweet me or send me an email or or whatever like if like if they connect me somehow on the internet I like to find out who you know who they are a little bit about them um, not like in a creepy way or anything just like you know oh they have a website like let's go look at it what do they do you know like what are they into who are they, who are these people who are are making the effort to talk to me because. The internet, as much as it brings us together, there's like this 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 huge amount of of lack of understanding of, of like who each of us are. You know, I I mean I think about forums like TNL or NeoGAF or whatever, where the biggest connection I might have to posters are their avatar. You know, their their avatar is is everything I know about them. So. You make these connections, like you know, if, if a certain person has a certain avatar, that's like who they are. Um, but so I, she had a website. I checked it out, and I found out that she is really, she has a site about uh, eroge, erotic games, and she is a she, and like I just like thought that was so awesome. Um, you know, that's the kind of person like can easily be made into a fetish. Like, oh, here's this girl on the internet and and she likes porn games you know oh my god that's like so so hot you know and it's easy to fetishize that but like i just i like the concept because it's it's something that that we so often don't let females be is i mean like if you think of somebody who likes eroge like you know you instantly think it's a dude right fat dude living at home by himself, forever alone, that kind of stuff, you know? So it's it's fun to come across people on the the internet who are female but into Eroge. Because it's, it's nice just to say, you know what? That's who she is and that's what she likes. Um, because we, we, we so often, like, put this pressure on females to not be into that kind of stuff. Or, or if they are, they're instantly a slut, you know? So it's just not, it's like, it's got a cute little website about Eroge, and that's cool, you know? Um, I know, I mean, like, like in the whole, this community, the anime and manga and video game stuff, I know, of course, you have the Yaoi fangirls, which, if you don't know what Yaoi is, um, I was trying to decide whether or not I was going to suggest you look that up. 
So yaoi, of course, Japanese word, Y-A-O-I, that's guy on guy, basically. The, uh, the counterbalance to yuri, which is, of course, girl on girl. Uh, so, you know, you've got the yaoi fangirls out there. But even then, like, like, I feel like some often they get fetishized as to who they are, you know. Um, so you know what? Just, just I think like it, it's a big better world if just whoever you are and whatever you're into, that's that, you know. And 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 if you weren't scorned for it, like you know, just because girls can't be into porn so often, you know, like it's it's, it's so funny the the uh, double standard out there, you know. The guys, if guys like porn, great. If girls do, they're loose or you know whatever. But anyway. Uh, next question. Next question. This is from JoJo. Uh, I think the podcast should be Japan-related. I would love to hear more about your thoughts and adventures in Japan. In the next episode, try to give more details and cover a less period of time so you don't run out of material. That's all. Uh, on a side note, do you know the guys of the Outcast, the Japanese Outcast? I don't know what that means. Is that a podcast? The Outcast podcast? Maybe? I'm not sure. Either way, I don't think I do, but maybe I'll have to look into that and figure out. Um, second question is, did you ever start the Xbox indie game you were planning on doing? No, I did not. I would really love to do it. Or, you know, even make it like an iPhone game or whatever. Because I had this idea for a, a top-down shooter that would incorporate some interesting ideas I'm not going to mention now because I don't want... The big, I don't want the man stealing my ideas, you know. Uh, but yeah, like, it's, it's so tough. Um, being creative or a creative person or like liking the idea of creation and stuff because it's tough wanting to create and having limits to what you can do. Like, my entire life, that's a last podcast, I've wanted to be able to draw and I can't draw. And I really wish I could because I, I love the idea of making all these characters or, 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 or drawings or, or whatever. Or, you know, I, I want desperately to make a, a manga title. You know, I would love it. Like, number one would be make a game. Okay, number two probably be make a movie. Number three would be make a manga. Um, but, you know, like, like that's the kind of stuff too. So, so I think in my life I've, I've tried to find ways I could create. That's why I like doing design work or I like doing writing or I like... Um, Things like that, because those are things that I can do with my artistic ability um, and make up for the other types of artistic ar- ability that I do not have at all. And probably same with podcasting. You know, podcasting is something you create. Uh, so I know, and I use the microphone and talk to people, you know, so I can make a podcast. Whereas I can't make a video game, and I wish I could. So yes, I, I still very much want to make an Xbox Indies game, but I have not at all yet. And finally, uh, I've got Mike Aldinger. hope that's right. He says, In our minds, you were drinking a large bottle of sake while recording this podcast. Based on the verbal outpour and the occasional bottle gulp noise in the background. Can you confirm or deny? Uh, by the way, the podcast was awesome. It would be awesomer if you were, in fact, drunk. No, when I podcast... Here. 
That noise? That is, in fact, um, Sailor Jerry's Rum and Coke Zero. That is my drink of choice on doing podcasting. And um, drink responsibility. But yes, I, I, I do enjoy drinking a little bit when doing podcasting. Uh, one, because it helps your throat. But two, because it kind of loosens you up a little bit. Because, you know, not so much being nervous, but just like um, not knowing what to say next or whatever. Uh, so I want to talk about sake because he brought up sake. And I think sake, this will close the show out here. Um, sake, I think, is a very misunderstood uh, element of Japanese culture for people. So I'll give you a few tips on sake. So that next time you go out and you drink something, sake-wise, um, you will have a better experience with it. So, there are a wide variety of sake out there. People think sake is sake, but it's not. There's so many different types, different flavors, different styles, different companies. Um, there's two ways to drink it. You can drink it cold, you can drink it hot. And how you drink it depends on what kind of sake it is. There, there, now I know somebody's going to write in and tell me I'm wrong on this, but personally I think there are very few types of sake where you can drink them both ways and it's acceptable. There are a few, but the thing is, is uh, if the sake is cheap, then Making it warm, warming it up, will give you a better experience. Because when it's cheap and it's and it's cold, the flavor is is not as good. Like like if you're drinking sake cold, I typically recommend that you drink a, a higher level of sake. You know, one that specifically has a certain certain flavors, or a little, a little bit better brand, or you know, a little bit higher level. But the secret. Maybe not a secret, but the thing I, I've, I've learned from my Japanese host father was the fact that if you have like super cheap sake, then warming it up typically increases the enjoyment of it. Because when it's cool, when it's cold, um, you can better tell that it's the, the cheap crap. If you've got the good stuff, typically you don't want to heat it up. But see, I love so Atsukan. Atsukan is 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 warm sake, and I I I love that stuff. I really do. Like like when I go out and have sushi or Japanese food or whatever, I typically like the warm sake. Um, and two, because when you go to a typical Japanese restaurant, if you just order sake by itself, you're getting the cheap stuff. Um, so it's kind of like a you know like like teas are same way. You have like teas that are good hot and teas that are good cold or coffees or whatever. Um, so that's the way sake works, is, is there's a lot of different kinds, and if you're drinking it cold, you typically want to stick to a higher higher grade, or the specifically like fruitier flavors, um, or things like that. If you know it's the cheaper stuff, or a little bit lower level stuff, then my recommendation is you warm it up. You know, you can just put it in the microwave for a few, for like 10 seconds or whatever, uh, or you get the fancy little bottle that you can warm up and then in the glasses and anything but so yeah so so there are a variety of types of sake and you, you want to kind of have an idea of which way to drink them and and you don't want to do both 
for a certain type, you know, you either like, okay, this is a a drink it cold sake or this is a drink it hot sake. Um, but you know, I, I like I like sake. It's 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 interesting because it's it's if you're not into alcohol so much, I think it's easier to drink. It it is kind of bitter when you're drinking it, but it's not overpowering. So as long as you can get past the bitterness and get past the kind of the, the, the strength that it has in flavor, it's not you know, you can drink it by itself. Whereas I would not recommend a casual drinker just to straight up drink rum or whiskey or vodka, you know, stuff like that. You always want to mix that kind of stuff. But sake you drink it by itself. And yeah. If it's cheap stuff, heat it up. If it's nicer stuff, keep it cold. That, that's the thing to remember, folks. So yeah, let's see what what how an hour twenty. Wow, I did not expect it to go that long. Um, so that was Miranda Sweet Shop, episode two. Um, so here's the thing: is you can send me an email. Today I read all the emails that I've gotten recently. They had questions. Uh, I love questions, and I'll go over them. And they can be about anything, not just gamer related or not just Japan related. This is not a Japan focused podcast. Um. So anything, any questions you have, you can let me know. Uh, you can send me a uh, question on or comment on Twitter. Of course, I am Pico Erdi on over on there, and that will be in the show notes. But now I'm going to go check this to make sure I have the right uh, information before I give it to you. So just uh, hang on. So we're going to Tumblr here. Let me figure this out. Going to the Tumblr. Not found. Uh-oh. All right. Sorry, I, I know I should have, I should have had this done before I started the freaking podcast. Let's uh, log in. Let's find my password. Tumblr. Let's see. If I can get into this Tumblr here. I'm logging in. Okay, where's my where's my page? Me Tumblr. Okay. I'm gonna put. My Tumblr, now I'll explain why in a second. I'm going to put my Tumblr link in the show notes as well. So you can go to Tumblr. You can go to my little Tumblr page. It is, uh, oh, that's easy. It's, it's uh, Pico Eddie, P-I-K-O-E-R-I dot Tumblr, which is T-U-M-B-L-R dot com, okay? And when you go there, there's a little link on there. And it says, ask me anything. Now, here's the nice part. Doesn't, doesn't give a crap if you're on Tumblr or not. You can go to Tumblr, my Tumblr page. Click that, well, ask me anything. You can ask me a question. And without an account or anything, it sends it to me anonymously. So if there's anything you want to reply to on this show... A question you want to ask, or for topics as they come up, if you want to be a part of the topic, you can go to Tumblr and you can send in your comment, question, or reply totally anonymously. So I will not have any clue who you are. Um, so I know sometimes like you want to reply to something, but you're like, well, I I want to give my opinion, but I don't know if I necessarily want to put my name attached to it or my email attached to it or say it publicly on Twitter or whatever. So yes, you can go to Tumblr. And no matter if you have an account or not, you can go on there and uh, do that. And also in the show notes, uh, I will explain to you who 
does the intro-outro song. That is, of course, Megadine Luca, the Vocaloid, with uh, the song is One Call, Love Call. Um, but that'll be in the show notes from now on, because I had a lot of people ask me after the first show who that was doing it. So, um, I don't know what the next topic is going to be. It might, I might go to the depression topic. I might go to the Japan part two. I might do something totally different. So yeah, I don't know. It's exciting, isn't it? Or not at all. Uh, so yes, this was Miranda's Sweet Shop. Uh, uh, episode two, not stage two, episode two. And yeah, I hope that you have a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Hanukkah, Crazy Kwanzaa. Uh, festive festivus uh wacky winter solstice or whatever else you celebrate like i said don't be too depressed remember expectations life is never going to live up to your expectations so remember that and it's okay if things are not what you expected find the enjoyment in the smaller pleasures in life Find the enjoyment in the things you were not expecting and don't dwell too much on things not working out the way you had hoped they would. There will always be fun, interesting, exciting, uh, heartwarming, uh, and, and enjoyable aspects of life as long as you let yourself understand that and as long as you let yourself see them. Because the more you stress about things not going the way you wanted, the more you'll, you'll not recognize the good parts when those parts show up. So anyways, I am guessing I will not get another episode out until the beginning of the new year. And uh, as for Warren and Huge Podcast, it's coming soon. I wish I had uh, more exact than that. But yeah, so enjoy your holidays. Hope you have fun. Hope you get some nice things if you do. Uh, Otherwise, I hope you enjoyed this uh, second episode. And I will see you next time. Bye! Tonight.